We're going to take this and next month to uh, go through a new series. We're looking at the gospel according to Jacob and then his son Joseph. And their stories cover half of Genesis, chapters 25 through 50. That's a lot of narrative in a rather thick biblical book as Genesis is. And since we're only taking nine to ten Sundays total in these two lives, uh, we'll necessarily be selective with text. Most of the text we'll read, we'll drop into the story, read a section of it, and I'm counting on some congregational familiarity with these stories. There's just not time to, to read them in full. If you're not familiar with these stories that we're going to be in for September and October, I encourage you to Either get a Bible or download a a Bible app. Uh, As I've told the congregation before, listening to the Bible read to you counts. You don't have to necessarily always read it yourself. Uh, Some uh, have told me through the years, it's usually guys being very sheepish. You know, I'm just not much of a reader. And I'll go, have you ever considered listening? There are apps that uh, read the Bible to you. And they go, that counts? And I say, that counts. It's totally fine to do it that way. But you may want to... uh, get one of those Bible apps and, and you can pick a, a British voice or an Australian voice or an American voice or a Southern English voice and they'll read the stories to you. And so get familiar with these stories as we go through them because we're just going to land in stories. A lot of you are going to know these stories about Jacob and Joseph, but some of you won't. And so it will behoove you to get familiar with them. And in this block of text, Genesis 25 to 50, the lives of Jacob and Joseph. We're going to learn two things about God's grace. Our aim over these next two months is to see two truths about the grace of God that gets lavished on us in Jesus. What we see in Genesis, one truth, is that in Jacob's and Joseph's stories both, we find God's grace breaks in on us against our will. I'll develop that thought as we go through the series. And the second truth of two that I want you to see in these stories is that God's grace wounds. We always think of grace as healing. We always think of grace as welcome. We always think of grace as beneficial. And yet to be a recipient of the grace of God is to also be brought in on a particular kind of wounding. And we see it happen in these stories. Now that's not a one and two for today. I'm going to develop those two truths over the span of the series. I will spend some time with this second one today about God's grace wounding because I think for a lot of us that's sort of a new idea and we need some help getting our minds around what what do you mean by that. To be a Christian is to be adopted by God by grace. But we, in being Christians, adopt a history that comes with this. And the history we adopt requires us to be gracious uh, to our faith ancestors, like Jacob. Uh, Jacob is a rather self-absorbed guy. Uh, He even emerged from the womb. Uh, We didn't read this, but if you go back to chapter 25 and see the circumstances of his birth, he he emerges from the womb. He's a twin, uh, fraternal. But seconds after his brother Esau, uh, he comes out with his his hand on on Esau's heel. (laughs) It's as if, uh, you know, you may have come out first, but I'm right here. I I should be the firstborn. I know infants don't think that. But the firstborn culture, we're squarely into, we're in Genesis. And the firstborn culture is huge. 
The name Jacob results from putting the word for God and the word for heel together because Jacob comes out grasping the heel of his brother. And so the original uh, meaning of Jacob's name was something noble, like God follows after, God protects. And that sounds noble, but our Jacob, emerging from the womb as he did, that became emblematic of a deceptive bent. In fact, um, Carrie read our our narrative right to where uh, Esau is bitterly lamenting this. Carrie stopped reading in verse 34. And then verse 35, Isaac says to Esau, your brother came deceitfully and he's taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? And you go, well, Jacob means God follows after. But, But it came to have this connotation of the grasping of the heel, a play on words, For he's cheated me these two times. Verse 36, he took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? See, if we call someone a heel, even today, uh, that's uh, not a compliment. We're not thinking God follows after you. We're thinking you're a contemptible person who I don't want following after me. And that's the way it is. I mean, a son deceiving his old father as we saw in the narrative, conniving his brother, contemptible person. But here's what we're going to see in the narrative as we have it. Isaac, the father, comes to see on his deathbed, and that's where he is here in chapter 27. Isaac is dying. And so in his final act, he wants to to bless his firstborn son Esau, but he comes to see, and how this plays out, Isaac comes to see he'd actually been fighting God on something. He fought the way God applies his grace. Isaac did not believe that God should overturn the culture of the firstborn and, and, and surely not overturn it on his son Esau, nor did Isaac believe that grace comes to people who cheat and lie like he knew his youngest son to do. Jacob... This guy whom God will later, will come to it, rename Israel, which means he struggles with God, and that's his rename. (laughs) There is no character development of Jacob in this story. Jacob the cheat, Jacob the liar, Jacob the conniver, Jacob the mispresenter of himself, still he's our Jacob. He's your faith ancestor and mine. Maybe you wouldn't dream of deceiving your father as Jacob did. And while there are morals to draw from these stories, what we're meant to pick up on is how grace works for us. In some places in Scripture, we see how grace works in us, transformatively. In some places in Scripture, we see how grace works through us as God uses us to bear witness to his transformative work in us. In these narratives, we see how grace works for us, even as we are. Now, in reading chapter 27, the story of the blessing, Jacob getting it, not Esau, the resorting to the, to the deception, why does the story go like it does in chapter 27? We really have to go back to chapter 25. We're not going to do this. Let me just tell you what's there. Chapter 25 is the birth of Esau and Jacob. And when Rebekah was pregnant with them, 
she uh, in, encountered this difficult pregnancy. It just, it just felt like that the, the, the babies the, were wrestling inside of her. And she goes to inquire of the Lord, Isaac, with her, and God answers and says to them, the older brother is going to serve the younger. And Isaac thought that from the moment he heard it. And we see how here in our text. He's going to bless Esau anyway, and even the repetition in the text. Did you note as we read through it, all these, uh, are you really my son? Who are you, my son? Are you really, come closer to me. He wants to make sure in his mind this is the right son, the one who should be blessed, the firstborn. And not just because it was the culture, but also because the end of chapter 25, again, we didn't read the end of chapter 25, but the end of chapter 25 tells us that Esau was Isaac's favorite. So you've got the culture of the firstborn, but our motives are always multiple and they're frequently mixed. And the text says, end of chapter 25, there's favoritism in this family of four. There's an open preferencing from Isaac to Esau and there's an open preferencing from Rebekah to Jacob. And again, we can draw morals from this, sure, but what we need to see, what we're meant to see, is how God accomplishes his purposes so often cross-purposes to our ways, like how he undermined the dominant culture of the firstborn. We have to understand as we get into these narratives how ingrained the prioritizing of the firstborn was in this culture. In fact, two chapters from here, we'll get to the story in two Sundays from now, this uh, violation of Jacob, uh, putting himself in the firstborn's place, uh, it became known. And later in chapter 29, the morning after his wedding night, when Jacob awakens and finds that it's Leah, not Rachel, and he goes to complain to Laban, his father-in-law, what he essentially hears is, I'm not going to let happen in my family what your father let happen in yours. I'm going to provide for my firstborn. That's, that, that feel is there. This whole culture of the firstborn, it's called primogeniture, if you want a fancy uh, word for it. Maybe you've heard that term. When Joseph later presents his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to Jacob, Genesis 48, for their blessing, Jacob actually crosses his hands. He puts his right hand, the hand of blessing, on the younger son. And it says Joseph is displeased by this. It just wasn't supposed to go this way. It didn't happen. But it did. The firstborn was to get the lion's share of everything. But God upended this. Isaac himself had a brother, an older brother. A brother from a different mother. We know the story. Ishmael. Technically, Abraham's firstborn. Except Isaac said, or God said, Isaac would be the child promised to Abraham. He would be the child of blessing through whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. Fast forward to Isaac's adulthood. Here we are now in chapter 27. God says to Isaac and Rebekah, chapter 25, your elder son will serve his younger brother. Isaac resists that. He favored Esau. And compare the two 
all the way through Genesis. And it does seem that while Esau has his faults, he doesn't have as many as Jacob, it does seem that Esau is a better guy all around. But as we get into these stories, you've got to understand how ironclad the culture of the firstborn was in its working and what a scandal it was to undermine it. It just was not done. That's one thing we have to understand. The other thing we have to understand is what this blessing was in particular. The focus of chapter 27 is the blessing. What is that? It's kind of like a will. It's kind of like an inheritance. Isaac couldn't take it back. In fact, there's no thought in the text of taking it back. If you read these stories before and you thought, you know, why didn't he just call Jacob back in and say, uh, I can't believe you did this. And no more blessing for you. Cursed. Get out of here. Uh, it, it doesn't happen like that. In fact, look at it in, in verse 33 where it says that Isaac trembles violently and he says, uh, who was it who came in and, and brought game to me and I ate it and, and I blessed him and, and yes, he shall be blessed. I mean, he emphasizes it. This is, this is not going to be overturned. It doesn't work like that. So there it is. The ingraining of the, of the idea of the prioritizing of the firstborn, but also the blessing. Now, the blessing is in verses 27 through 29. Let's look at it. May God, verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. That has to do with land. Verse 29, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. There's dominion. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now the blessing started in Genesis 12. You do have to have a sense of the progression of the story. Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, and he says, I'm going to give you land and seed. I'm going to give you descendants as, as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore. Land and seed. And so this blessing is also land and seed oriented. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessed land, land favored by God. We'll see this next week again in chapter 28, where we'll be. Blessed line, a line favored by God. Dominion and descendants, imperishable is another way of putting it. God's grace preserving you, protecting you and yours. The special attention of God, all of this is inside the blessing, what it means to be blessed. But blessing is for us a really watered-down idea. For example, when we see that the blessing given to Jacob did not shield him or insulate him from knowing troubles, we say, well, that doesn't sound like blessing because we have this assumption that blessing means, no, everything goes great. But what are we going to see happen in Jacob's life? Jacob is going to experience rivalry in his home among his sons and wives. By the way, polygamy, when you find it in the scripture, this is just an aside, but an important aside, it always resulted 100% of the time in rivalry or idolatry, 100% of the time. Uh, Jacob's going to lose Rachel, his wife. He's going to lose a lot of time with Joseph, be reunited to him at the end, but he's going to lose uh, all of his youth and young adulthood, etc. 
God told Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, all these descendants that are going to come from you, for 400 years they're going to be enslaved. God announces that well before the time that it happens. A lot of grief, in other words, showed up in these blessed lives. That is, lives God connected himself to and infused with grace. What it means to be blessed by him is God permanently connects himself to you and he infuses your life with his protective, redemptive, preserving grace. It's not hashtag blessed for Jacob, okay? You know how on social media people will hashtag the little emphasis word and you've got the whole hashtag blessed movement out there. The Kardashians and everybody use hashtag blessed. Jacob lived large in the land, true, but, but not out of reach of troubles. Same for Isaac before him and Abraham before him and all those after them. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each and all, very flawed, Jacob the most so, and each and all knew deep and abiding troubles. So then how can we talk of them being blessed? Our hashtag blessed idea openly taught in some churches, assumed by many American Christians, including a lot of us, our idea of being blessed or living in a state of blessing is mostly, in in our orientation, it's mostly materialistic and individualistic. Hashtag blessed. God visits happiness, success, safety, wellness, and prosperity on me. As long as he's doing that, I'll give him my allegiance. When he doesn't do that, I'll shake my fist. Even the way we think of grace, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the message, always healing, always welcome. And yet we see studying the patriarchs that grace breaks in on their lives against their will. We weren't looking for this. It came for them. And we also see that grace also wounds. I guess you could say if you want to hashtag grace, that grace always heals. But God's grace also wounds. This is part of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that it wounds before it heals. Don't put any sequence to what I'm saying. Just grace also wounds. Yes, grace heals. Absolutely. And grace wins. And there are saving graces. And God lavishes his grace on us in Jesus. Yes, yes, and more yes. But the gospel, according to Jacob, shows us Grace also wounds. How so? When God overturns the culture of primogeniture, the the culture of the firstborn. This story we're set in is set within a much larger biblical story in which there's only one true firstborn. What God did in working his purposes, cross purposes to the prevailing cultural norms and expectations back then, and he still does it now. It's meant to prepare his people then and now for how he works. God God often does what people do not see coming and wouldn't think to, including sending his only begotten son. That word begotten in John 3 means uncreated. Jesus always God. But God the Son, also known as the firstborn of creation, would come and reveal himself to be one who was simultaneously, unsurpassedly blessed and cursed at the same time. Simultaneous. Do you know how huge this is? 
We, we didn't read this part, but if you look back up in verse 13 in chapter 27 here, where Rebecca says to Jacob as she's preparing him for going in to see Isaac, putting goat skins on him so he feels hairy like Esau. He's wearing Esau's clothes. She's made food for him to take in like Esau cooked it. I don't know, heavy on the Tabasco or something. But Rebecca says, if Jacob, your father, figures out it's you and curses you, verse 13, let that curse fall on me. Now, when you read that, something's got a ding, ding, ding in your mind. In this context of blessing and cursing, this narrative seems to be talking about a, actually a larger narrative that we're part of, and it is. That curse wouldn't happen to her. It did happen to Jesus. Let me read you a, a, a section of Galatians, two verses from Galatians in the New Testament. It's Galatians 3, 13, and 14. Just listen. Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that, here's the reason why, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is Jacob being given? The blessing of Abraham. But Jacob is a direct descendant of Abraham. He's his grandson. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Jesus is cursed so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith that is our inheritance. He, Jesus, the blessed one, took every curse, simultaneously blessed and cursed. How could that be? And what did it require? It required the firstborn of God to come down to us wearing our clothes, as it were, human flesh, God in human flesh, not to deceive us, but to pay for all our deceptions. God could have used the conventions of the day. He could have used the culture of the firstborn as it existed to bless the world through Esau, but he didn't. Instead, God prepares the way his firstborn would arrive and live among us, his one and only begotten son. He prepares the way through grace that wounds. Isaac wounded by the grace given to Jacob. Esau wounded by it too. And Jacob himself would be wounded in being the special recipient of God's favor. Do you think this made Jacob's life any easier? He has to leave home. Brother Esau wants to kill him. He wanders. He has stones for pillows. He goes to work for his uncle who becomes his father-in-law. That could happen back then. You know, I'm not going to pick on any states. Something came to mind that was really a bad thought and I, and I, I jumped it off like that. Is your life any easier because you're a Christian? Say, oh, yes, absolutely. Well, you must not be sharing your faith. You must not in the public square be identifying with the crucified one. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits that accrue to us. I'm not saying there aren't. But coming to Christ doesn't necessarily make your life easier. In fact, it, it makes you more susceptible to some particular kinds of wounds. 
God uses his grace to upend expectations. Our vulnerabilities become assets. Our losses, sources of strength, our, our loneliness are spurring to seek him more. None of that we want or like. I've been reading Martin Short's biography. Martin Short, the comedic actor. He, it's my fun read. Uh, it's my football read when I'm watching a football game. Sometimes I'll have a book. I can't abide commercials and uh, I hate them and it's just easier to read um, a, a book sometimes uh, when I'm watching a game. Martin Short, when he was 12, uh, his brother, his oldest brother, he was in a family of five. Martin Short was the baby and his oldest brother was killed when he was 12 in a car accident. By the time Martin Short was 20, both of his parents had succumbed to their final illnesses. And he said all he got from the church were platitudes in the face of his losses. Priests and people just saying a bunch of nothing. Easy for them to say kinds of thoughts. And it, and it, and it didn't cause him to disbelieve in God, but he cooled. He saw it all as just religion. It's the place that's good for when you want to marry and be buried someday. It doesn't impact your life. Because why would God take my brother in the prime of his life? It made no sense to him then or now. And you know what? It doesn't make any sense, except God's grace in the world is a grace that also wounds in his purposings. And there is a difference in believing the world has fallen and the world is random. We always think, it's something of a default setting for us. We always think if God isn't being good to me, that is keeping me safe and healthy and out of grief, then he's being bad to me. And so we hear the word of grace, the gospel of God's favor in Jesus, and we assume if, if I can just get in on that, then I won't be hurt anymore. I won't have to suffer anymore. I won't have problems. I, I, I won't and I shouldn't be vulnerable to, to sufferings of various kinds. But that's exactly the way it isn't. God can remove in order to restore. He can strip things away from us to give us more of himself. It's painful. It wounds. It hurts. We don't want it. Jacob put wounds on his brother. He put wounds on his father. He put wounds on his wife Leah and 11 of his sons. The blessing infusing his life didn't make his life easier and nor did it make him a very great person as people go. But it made him seek God. It made him walk with God. It made him trust God and put his hopes in God. And we'll eventually get to the wrestling match Jacob had with God. A lot of you know the story. He wrestled with God and he was uh, left with a permanent limp, a wound. But he also got more blessing from the experience. How can that be? These stories before us are about how grace works, who grace works for. Yes, we find morals here. I could preach to you about how, you know, we could take the, the, the Isaac family and we could say, you know, beware favoritism, it wrecks the peace of a home. Or, or I could say to you, you know, uh, if you're not blessing your kids, then, then maybe they're going to be embittered and, 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 and turn on you someday if they don't have your encouragement and, and, your, and a sense of your love. 
I've got a book on my shelves that uses this story in Genesis 27 to offer a five-part method for blessing your kids that begins with meaningful touch because Isaac kissed his son and some evangelical authors want to turn that instructive for we want to bless our children. Here's a roadmap. It's not wrong for us to go there with these stories. I'm not faulting that. God knows how much we need the blessing of our parents. I mean, don't you ache for Esau here? Verse 34, do you hear his cry? Doesn't it make you wince? Bless me, me also, my father. Verse 38, we didn't read it, but he says, have you not one more blessing, father? Bless me, even me also, oh my father, and lifted up his voice and wept. Your heart goes out to him, it has to. It's it's human. Don't you ache for people who grow up in homes where blessing is absent? Absent encouragement and affirmation, the the empowering that happens, the securing that happens in words of blessing, sure. It's crushing and disorienting words absent. We can talk about that from Esau's experience, absolutely. There's great power in in blessing your children. Look what happens when that doesn't happen, and and we can talk about that. I'm I'm okay with five-part plans to bless your children from Genesis 27. If you want to go there, fine. Knock yourself out. It's just not ultimately what this story is really about. It's not why it's in our Bible. This story and the other ones that follow are are about how grace, God's grace, God's particular affirming, connecting to us, how this breaks in on our lives, both unannounced and unwanted in many cases, but then it's there. God puts himself before us to be dealt with. He brings himself into our lives. That's what these stories are about. And also that grace does wound. God fulfills his purposes for people, cross purposes to how we want it to go, how Isaac wanted it to go. Again, in the narrator's cadence, Isaac wants to be really sure that this is Esau. He keeps asking is this really you, my son? And he means my son Esau, the one I like, the one I want to bless. Even though God said at the birth, it isn't going to happen that way, I want it to happen that way. He fought it. He fought that the culture of primogeniture would be turned over on his son, the one he preferred. And he also fought that grace would come to one as lousy as his younger son. There was pain in that for Isaac. It wounded Isaac to learn that God would bless a lying cheat like his son Jacob. Esau was so much more deserving in Isaac's mind, and and again, from what we know of Jacob, Esau probably was more deserving. But you know, that's just it with us. Don't we always want to turn grace into a reward for our comparative goodness? We want to turn it into what it's not. I'm not a terrorist. I don't abuse my children. I go the extra mile at work. I keep up my yard. Therefore, I'm a good person. And God should bless me. Have you got the right God? I mean, have you got the God of Scripture? Grace is forever a scandal. It's supposed to be. That's the nature of it. 
It's supposed to always throw us off balance. We're never supposed to get used to how God works it. If grace was a reward for your respectability and your earnestness and your deservingness, it wouldn't be grace. Who says it's supposed to be that the lying, cheating son can't get the firstborn blessing? We say that. That's our screenplay. But we're not the author. We aren't God. Thank God we're not. Is it so, I mean, just plug this into your life. Is it supposed to be that those of us parents who did very conscientiously pass on blessing, who taught our children right from wrong, the fear of the Lord, that those children would grow up and act like they don't know the first thing about it? Listen, a rebellious, self-destructive child hurts, and it hurts more as a Christian. How can the return on our efforts be so empty? We followed the playbook. We, we did what Focus on the Family said to do. What is God doing when it appears he's not doing anything? That's what you see in these stories. He has a higher way. Ken started us off with Isaiah. He has a higher purpose, a higher way, and we're not always in on that. So don't in your little person, in your little life, in your little orbit say, because I can't see it, that means I don't know what's happening. That's all you know. You just don't know what's happening. God knows so much more, and we have to trust that. Is it supposed to be that the flawless firstborn son of God got the curse so that we could be in on his blessing? I don't think so. So we could come in on the blessing of Abraham. Do you realize when God spoke to that guy thousands of years ago, you were part of the equation. You, sitting here today, me from little podunk Hamilton, Alabama, was part of the equation. One in whom all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And it goes to Isaac and then it goes to Jacob. Yes, even to Jacob of all people. No, we say, that shouldn't be. And God says, why not? I did it for you. Why not Jacob? God can and does accomplish his good purposes, cross purposes to what we think and want, but oftentimes he does, it hurts. It doesn't always make our lives easier. See, what we see in these narratives is how grace works for us, how it breaks in on us against our will. Because God has purposes that aren't going to be stopped. He's going to accomplish what he sets out to do. As I said, there's no character transformation in Jacob to chat up. Oh, let's all be like Jacob. I'm not even going to tell you to be like Joseph. Because Joseph is a runt. Joseph, in, in getting a dream about how he's going to be involved in the overturning of the culture of the firstborn, he goes and gloats about it to his brothers. Joseph is sociopathic frankly. Doesn't mean he deserved prison. Not at all. That's injustice that happens in Joseph's life. But what does Joseph do there? Continues to look to the Savior. Continues to look to the one whose blessing to his father somehow, some way has to be, have him involved. Jacob walked with God. Jacob, of all people, walked with God. He walked with a limp <laughs> because grace also wounds.
Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And then we'll sing. Got a couple of minutes to do that. Ken, do you have something in mind for us to sing? Let's sing together in a moment. Father, thank you for this story, for these narratives. They are challenging in so many ways. And I pray as we go into these stories that we will attend whatever morals we draw and lessons we draw from them, that we will attend to the, how this story is in service to a greater story and how it uh, shows us uh, what you're doing for us is really incredible when we think about it, that we get to experience your grace for us, not just in us and through us, but that you're really for us. And Lord, we, uh, we, we will struggle and we will wrestle with how things play out. We know the world is not random, but at times we're tempted to think it is. We know it's fallen, and at times we're tempted to despair over that. But Lord, show us the ways we fight you and help us to see in that your goodness continuing to us, even as you have shown the patriarchs before us the ones who went first. Father, thank you for bringing us in on these blessings and these promises. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.